Oh, well, it is, it is good to, to gather. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to be in John chapter 3. I'll let you get there, and uh, I will uh, begin by telling you a, a fun little football story, which, ironically, um, playing football, I injured my knees a bunch of times, and right now, uh, I'm having some knee pain. So if I look like a flamingo, um, I did last week as well. I don't know. Maybe this is football-related. Maybe the Lord just wanted to remind me of this fun football story. But when I played football, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't too good at a lot of things. I wasn't good at at uh, schooling, uh, mathing, sciencing, Englishing, uh, all the ings in school, I wasn't good at. But it turns out that if you have a little bit of unregistered, un, undealt with anger, and they put some pads on you and everybody around you, you can unleash just massive amounts of havoc. And I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And so, uh, as a as a freshman in high school, uh, I remember playing football. And like, first thing is, I'm, I'm not the strongest in the world. I'm not the biggest in the world. I'm not the fastest in the world. But I'm like medium on all the those things. Uh, and so they tried me out on defensive line and I was just like, I loved it. I loved like going after people, like just hitting them, finding the guy with the ball. And every time I would get in a play, a uh, coach would give me a pat on the back. Uh, if you know anything about football, I'm going to tell you this uh, and, and you're going to be amazed. Uh, if you don't know about football, this isn't going to help you at all. But I was a nose guard and I almost got an interception in a game. Like it was in my fingers as it was going down. That's bonkers, right? It shouldn't ever happen, but it almost happened. I mean, every play that something good happened, coach would tell me, Lofton, you're doing great. Keep up the good work. I get kudos, kudos, kudos. And I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you're finding your niche, you're finding the thing that you're good at, and people are starting to praise you. It feels really good, doesn't it? And so you're just like, yes, I'm going to do more of that. And so I was getting angrier, faster, go after the ball. It didn't matter. I would just like, just fly, like it just full body dives. I didn't care if I got hurt because I'm getting the kudos and the praise as it went. We, we played this one team, uh, a little 3A school, and so it's nothing to play both sides of the ball. And so while I'm primarily defense, it was very common and not unheard of for Coach to be like, hey, I need you to do offense. And so uh, this, this, one, this one team we were playing, they just had this one guy who kept getting to our quarterback over and over and over again. And Coach says, Lofton, get over here. I'm like, yes, sir, Coach, what you got? I'll do it, whatever you need. He's like, okay, I need you on offensive line. Coach, I don't know any of the plays. He said, I don't care. I want you to hit 41. Whatever you do, when that ball hikes, you go lay 41 out. I was like, yes, sir, coach. And so I got out there, uh, kind of eyeballing him. He's over here. Sorry about you guys, but I'm about to lay you out. And, and the, the ball is hiked, and I turn, and I clobbered 41. Like, I mean, just laid him out. Me and another guy. He was, was like double teamed. And I'm like, yes, me. Yay, me. And I get up, and coach is like, Lofton, I said 42. I said 40. And he's mad because he got to my quarterback again. And 42, I was like, oh, I got the wrong number. Or really, coach got it wrong. But anyway, uh, it's time to get 42. It's time to get 42. But there's this moment, listen, there's this moment, all of those accolades were just like bankrupt all of a sudden because I had this one moment of correction. I hit the wrong guy. I did the wrong play. My quarterback got hit. And all that praise, all that praise I've been feeling, I'm just like, I've let coach down. I've got to do something. And so now it's this next play. We're running the exact same play. I'm going to take out number 42. And I run, and the ball hikes, and I run, and I square up on 42, eye to eye. I get down. I'm ready to lay him out. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if, if you can see someone, did you know that they can see you too? Like they're looking right at you. And so I square up. I'm ready to just pounce on this guy. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to hurt. Um, and he does what every one of you would do in that situation. 
steps to the side. <laughs> That's all he did. Like, and, so, and so I go to take out number 42 with all this anger. Like, I, you know, I hit the wrong guy the last play, so I'm going to make up for it this play. I've got to do something. And he just sidesteps me. And I think time stopped in that moment. I'm just in my mind right now thinking, oh, I'm never going to have a career in football. I'm letting coach down. Girlfriend's going to dump me. Like, it's just like every, everything bad is in this moment. I'm going to let everybody down. And so I perform an illegal maneuver. I don't know if you know this about football, but those shoulder pads are really well strapped on people. And so when he sidestepped me, I'm now behind him, and I grab him by the back of the shoulder pads, and I, I mean, I spiked him. Like, like I just scored a touchdown. Like, boom! just threw this guy down and I felt great about it. I'm like, yeah, coach, yeah. And coach is mad. He says, get over here. There's whistles blowing. There's flags everywhere. I'm taken out of the game. I can't even play anymore. And I'm trying to figure out what has happened. And what I don't know until later, what I find out later is that while I'm thinking to myself, it's all about me and I'm going to let everybody down and I've got to make myself look good. What I didn't realize is that it was the first time my quarterback didn't get rushed. It was the first time that number 42 was slowed down enough for my quarterback to put the ball in the air. And it was the first time that he connected the, with that right receiver. And we scored a touchdown that got called back because, and I quote, holding on the offensive line. Well, I didn't hold him. I spiked him. But they don't have a, play, or a penalty for that. What, it, what I want to look at today is the story where, where it would be easy for us to go for the praise, for more and more praise. And, 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 and instead, what we find is that John the Baptist, he knows how to take the praise and he knows how to take the correction. He knows how to ride the wave up and then to ride it back down. You and I, we live in a world where we get, we get, congratulated, we get praise, and we're like, yay us. And then someone's like, hey, you could have done that better. Hey, you know, that report, I needed it a little bit more timely. And sometimes, like, we get little moments of correction like that. You shouldn't talk to the kids that way. And we're just like, oh, you know, how dare, you know. Like, it, it, we, we take so much of this on ourselves that we make this life about us, and we ride these waves up and down when there's no contentment in that. Because even when you're riding the wave up and you have all this joy, you're one criticism away from getting knocked all the way back down to the bottom. And we feel it. And it's a, it is a painful ride down. What if, what if the Lord's way of doing things is a little bit more even? Someone compliments you, thank you, but it's not about me. Someone corrects you, thank you, I'll try to do better. Someone compliments you, thank you, uh, you know, it's not about me. And we just ride it in a more even way. That's, that's what we want to look at with John the Baptist. So uh, we'll start in verse 22. What we're doing with the book of John is we're just trying to get some firsthand look at who Jesus is, what Jesus was really like. So we've been doing that with John, uh, the author of, of this book. And uh, as, as we've kind of worked through it, we, we've answered kind of two big questions is one, who is Jesus? And so we were kind of starting to see Jesus through the eyes of John, the author. Um, but then now we're starting to get to like, and now what do people do once they know who Jesus is? Like, how do you respond to Jesus? Or we can flip that. Does Jesus even accept you? Because if you're like me, you've had a few flags thrown in your life, right? And like, ah, oh, you know, I really let my coach down, but will Jesus accept me for all the penalties of, golly, I'm, I'm about to have like a sports, <laughs> a whole sports sermon. I'm going to do this uh, FCA sermon later. Um, but, but let's look at it. We'll, we'll unpack it all together as, as we go. Verse, verse 22. How does John the Baptist fit into all this? After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. 
when we read about uh, John here, uh, we're talking about John the Baptist. After this, what is, what is going on? Um, last week, if you were here, we looked at Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know the most famous verse. That was what just happened. And so the author, John, is telling us, well, after he met with Nicodemus in Jerusalem, Jesus went off into the Judean countryside, and he met with, and when we read the name John, it's John the Baptist. It's a different John than the author. He says, in John, verse 23, also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. And then the next verse has parentheses in my Bible. It says, for John the Baptist had not yet been put in prison. And so the guy playing the keyboard as we're reading this, he just goes, dun, dun, dun. Because if you, if you were the original audience right now, and you're like, I, I remember that John the Baptist guy. It's like 20 years later. I remember him. Didn't he get arrested or something? And the author is trying to tell us, like, hey, Jesus met with John the Baptist, but it was before he went to prison. We'll try to, we'll try to come back that, to that later. Point is, though, brother can't pass a background check, can't serve in our children's department here at Carpenter's Way. So what's what's happening? There's this there's this area, Anon near Salim. What what is this? I had to, had to Google it. Um, I've you know I, my job is to know things about the Bible. When I read this, it's like I don't know where Anon near Salim is. I, I don't know anybody vacation there recently. Is this like your favorite? No, I, I don't think anybody knows where it is. So I had to Google it. Uh, it turns out it's middle of nowhere. It is, it is absolutely nothing around it. Um, it is uh, like a major metropolis is around Jerusalem, which is where Jesus was in the last, last week when we read it. And Galilee to the north, a lot of little cities and, and kind of bigger cities up there. But there's like this in-between spot where nothing is. And Anon near Salim is like right in the middle of this no man's land. Nothing big has ever happened there. Uh, I'll, I'll try to figure out like what would that look like here. Um, if, if you drive to, to Houston, this would be like saying, hey, I need to go spend a few days in Hankamer, Texas. Anybody, anybody got like a vacation spot in Hankamer you like to hang out at? Anybody know where Hankamer is? Yeah? Yeah, near Anahuac. Yeah, it's, like, it's kind of like a middle of nowhere. It's almost on the road, but a little off the major highway. You don't even really quite pass by it on I-10. But if you just go two miles off of I-10, there's like a little city called Hankamer. I used to know some people out there. There's just nothing there. The, the point is, is that John, even when he's saying near Salim, he's saying like nobody knows where Anon is. Like it is the middle of nowhere even to them. And now we have this showdown about to go down between John the Baptist and Jesus about baptizing people. Now, who of those two people has a really big reputation for baptizing people, do you suppose? Jesus or John with the name Baptist added to his name? <laughs> it's what he's known for, right? It would, be like, it would be like you going on a cooking show and you're like Fred against John the cooker, John the master chef. Like it's part of his name. He's so well known for this. You don't stand a chance, okay? That's, that's the point, and, unless you're Gordon Ramsay or something. Uh, he, Jesus... And his crew are baptizing people. And John the Baptist are baptizing people. And they're starting to notice the crowds are growing. Quick little Bible study bit here. Jesus didn't baptize anybody himself. Uh, John even says this in the very first verse of the next chapter. Like Jesus himself didn't baptize people, but his disciples did. And so you kind of have Jesus on the bank. Like, okay, everybody, on the count of three, we're all going to dunk. Three, two, one. Peter, we need to, he needs to breathe, brother. Get, Peter, get him out. You know, so he, like, he gets him out. But there's this idea of him just kind of directing the crowds. John the Baptist has been doing this for years up to this point. John the Baptist has been on the scene talking about baptism for years. 
You guys need to be baptized and you need to repent of your sins because God is coming. God is going to send somebody and we all need to be ready. We all need to be baptized. He's been doing this for a while. He's got fame. He's got fortune. He's got prestige. He's, he's well known. And now Jesus is over here and his crew are starting to baptize and people are, are noticing. The spotlight is starting to shift from John the Baptist over to Jesus. What do you do in moments where the spotlight is like really on you and then you start to see it drift away? Do you do, you do like Jesse and you're just like, I don't care, I'm going to throw this guy down. And I need that spotlight right now. You do, you do, you do, you know, you go to the boss and you stand up like, hey, you know, I, I did pretty good too. You start to suck up a little bit more, you know, like, hey, you know, hey, remember that time last week where we were all hanging out? And you say, yeah, but the new guy, it's his job now. What do you do when you've ridden the praise all the way to the top and you start to sense the praises are slowing down. The compliments on how good you've been doing and how good you look. The compliments on your performance are starting to wane, maybe starting to decline. Do you get defensive? Do you, need to, do you, do you get dissatisfied? Do you get discontent? Like, what do you do? Let's see what John did. Um, as, as with anything, you know, people start to take notice of these things. People notice when, when we're supposed to be discontent. And so now a discussion has arisen between some of John the Baptist's disciples and a Jew, just a, just a Jew, <laughs> not, not a lot of specifics there. We're, we're to infer from that that this is a, a Jewish leader, maybe a Pharisee, and they're starting to discuss the, the reasons for baptism, the reasons for purification. They're having this, this whole debate. While another group of people with Jesus are baptizing over there, they're discussing purification. Verse 26, and they came to John and said to him, uh, Rabbi, uh, excuse me, teacher, Rabbi, uh, he who was with you across the Jordan, you know, to whom you bore witness. He won't even say his name. John, John the Baptist has already said Jesus' name. This guy won't even like put a name to it. He's like, Jesus, no, no. You know that guy you talked about last time? Yeah, yeah, he's over there. He's, he's doing a thing. He says, the one to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, what, what does this guy want to happen at this moment? What, why bring something like that to John the Baptist? Is he, is he stirring the pot, you think? Is he, is he trying to like, hey, you know, we're starting to lose some of our cloud over here, John. I'm on team John the Baptist, but I'm just saying, John, you might want to do something. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, if you don't hurry up and do something, he's going to take all of our fame. He's going to take all of our, all of our people. What, what is it like in, in our world when, when things start to, you see the wind start to, to shift? When, when someone comes to you and be like, you know, uh, yeah, I notice... I notice you let your kids have uh, high fructose corn syrup. I just like you don't care about diabetes. I guess I, I don't know. Uh, maybe you've heard about this dental epidemic that's happening. I'm, maybe they drop little nuggets, and you immediately start to compare. Like, oh, I do parent that way, and they parent this way. What What is it like when when someone comes to you and says, "Hey, you know, uh, I just saw Susie go into the boss's office like she's going for an interview. Didn't Didn't you uh, put in for a promotion recently? Huh, I'm just saying." Like, come on, it's a little, it's a little salty, right? It's a little, it's a little messy of someone to do. See, we all have situations in our life where someone whispers in our ears a thing you should be thinking about, and immediately, if we're not careful, we put that thing on. And you're like, I should be thinking about that. I should be worried about Jesus baptizing people, and I should be worried about high fructose corn syrup or whatever. 
I, I, I've said this before. I, I don't know. One of the, the places where I find myself comparing myself a lot is uh, on uh, my kids' sports things or any public event where my kids are there and other parents are there. I'm immediately thinking, I need to discipline right here. I have to parent this moment right now. But all these parents are watching. Hmm, should I raise my voice a little bit more? Should I, should I be, and now I said, respect your father. You know, and like, I'm just like making sure everybody heard me say it out loud. Like there's so many moments in life where we add extra pressure to ourselves by comparing ourselves to everyone else. This guy, Bill, or whatever his name is, has gone to John the Baptist. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but that other guy, he's baptized. He's doing your thing over there, and he immediately wants John the Baptist to compare himself. Let me give you a tip. This is just a freebie. It's not even the main point of the sermon, just a general tip. Comparison is always a poison. There are no, zero, absolutely none, where there's an opportunity for you to compare yourself healthily to another person. Zero. You're like, well, Jesse, what about the athletes? What are you going to do? If someone's faster than you, someone's stronger than you, just be, work to be faster and stronger than you were last time. Don't compare yourself to other people. Spouses, don't compare yourself to the other spouses around you. Employees, don't compare yourself to the other people next to you. Listen, parents, don't compare yourself to other parents because comparison is always a poison. When we start to measure ourselves against other image bearers of God, we are playing a game that was never ours to play. We're to compare ourselves. If you need to compare yourself to anything, you're supposed to compare yourself to absolute perfection, Jesus, and then you find that you fall short and everybody needs him all of a sudden. That's the point. But when I'm like, I'm better than you, that's a poison. It's going to rot you out. When you say, I'm doing better parenting than you, when you say that your problems are bigger than that person's problems, you're comparing yourself, your troubles to theirs, and it's a poison. I've had a pain in my in my foot for this this week and last week. I'm standing here like a flamingo. I did this last week, uh, and someone tells me like, "Hey, I broke my foot this week," and I, like immediately I almost said, "Oh man, if you only knew the pain I've been going through," but I didn't because why? Because they're in pain. So am I. We can just have a, a conversation. It's not about who's in the most pain right now, and yet we live in a world where we're just like trying to outdo each other in every which way. Does John the Baptist, does he take the bait? Does he take it? This guy wants him to take the bait. Does he take the bait? Here's here's what he says. Verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John, John kind of stops this in his tracks right away. His first response to Bill or whatever this guy's name is, is listen, Whatever good you think I have, whatever good you've seen me do, whatever blessings are in my life, I know where they come from. They come from God, and they're a gift to me. Whatever fame he has, whatever, whatever influence he has over the community, that whatever is threatening Bill in this moment, that he's worried that we might lose, John's response is, I'm not holding it with too tight of a grip. I just know it came from God, and it was a gift. And it's a gift. Here's, here's what this looks like in your life. Everything that is good in your life is a gift from God. To, to name that, to believe it, to actually process it, that will change the way that you start to reflect and compare yourselves to other people. Your, your family, your spouse, it's a gift from God. Guys, if you look like me, it's a gift from God that she even said yes to you, okay? Like the point is, it's like everything good in your life is a gift from God. That money in your wallet, It's a gift from God. You're like, hold on, Jesse. Jesse, I worked 40 hours last week to earn that. Yeah, yeah, who gave you the time to do that? 
Who gave you the freedom to do that? Who gave us the economic climate that had the job available for that? Who gave your, you the strength in your legs and your hands to do the work, your brain to be able to think, and the skills and the talents and the personalities? All we did was just do the stuff. God gave us all of the gifts in order to go and get it done. You know, John, he immediately claps back at this guy. He didn't have to think about this and come back to it later. He's already been processing, probably as part of his like quiet time or something, like, God, thank you. Thank you that I have this role. Thank you that you're giving me this mouthpiece. Thank you that the spotlight is on me for whatever season that it is. Just thank you for the stuff that you've given me. Have you, have you processed recently all the good things that God has given you? Or, like Bill here, do we immediately go to the comparison where something isn't working out right? Do we immediately go to the negative, to the problem? John's first instinct is, yeah, God gave me good stuff. They're gifts from him. There's an old hymn. I've been quoting old hymns. I don't know why. They're, I haven't even sung them recently. They're just in my head. There's an old hymn about counting your blessings. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Then the next line, I love this, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. What a, what a sobering thought. Because in this world that says you need to worry about this, the media's got you on this, and the guy at work's got you on this, and you get home, there's the bickering at home, and that's got you, and it's, 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 it's so loud. If we just pause and just thought, man, look at all this good stuff that God has given us, we name it. It might just surprise us what he's actually doing good in our lives. John the Baptist, he's not, he's not wavered. His first stance is, you know what? Everything I have, every good thing is from heaven. A person can't receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. And then, and then he starts to process this. He, he, he answers three questions, and I think these three questions help him. And if we ask ourselves these three questions and answer them ourselves, I think you and I would be more content. The, the first question is, who am I not? He says in the next phrase, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. He knows who he's not. I am not the main point. I am not the one God's going to send to save all of this. I am not your savior. What would it look like if we just started like identifying, you know what I'm not? I'm not that guy's boss. You know what I'm not? I'm not my spouse's Holy Spirit trying to convict him or her of you know whatever is going on. I am not that person's rescue plan. I am not the one responsible for his or her sobriety. I am not that person. Psychologists have a word for that, by the way. John the Baptist knew it before psychology was even a word. Uh, the word for that is differentiation. If you have high differentiation, you know very clearly who you are not in a relationship. And all of the most toxic traits that we see in all of the most toxic relationships are people with low differentiation. They blur the lines between where they begin and end and where that person's responsibilities are. When you have low differentiation, you're like, you know what? I should go say something to Jesus about him baptizing people. You know what? I need to stand up for what's right about me. John the Baptist first knew who I am not. Who are you not in all of those relationships that are popping to mind right now? You know who I'm not? when I'm on the sports fields and I'm thinking to myself, all these other parents are watching me. I'm not Dr. Phil trying to teach them all how to parent. I'm just trying to raise a good, healthy son. I'm not responsible for them seeing good parenting. I'm just responsible for being a good dad to my son. And if I would just remind myself of that in those key moments, I'm less likely to be tempted to raise my voice and put on a good show for everyone. Who are you not? John the Baptist says, you know what? I'm not the Christ. Then he says he knows who he is. The second thing is like he knows who, not only does he know who he's not, he knows who he is in this thing. He says, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. 
He sees his role as like a like an emissary, someone who runs before the king and like announces, the king is coming, the king is coming. That guy, if he like kind of slips up a little bit, maybe he hits his head and he wakes up, he's like, I think I'm the king. That's a problem for the whole kingdom all of a sudden, right? It's silly. You're not. You're the guy who's supposed to announce the king. He says, you know, I'm not the Christ, but I'm the one who comes before him and I'm the one who's announcing him. How foolish would it be for John the Baptist to be like, you know what, I think I'm going to grab a little bit more of that fame, a little bit more of that prestige. I'm going to hang on to it a little bit tighter. If his entire role in life was to point the spotlight at the Christ when he shows up, and there he is, baptizing next door. He says, I am not the Christ, but I have sent before me. What is your role in those relationships? What are you called to do? When we're, when we're trying to do somebody else's role, not only are we not equipped to do their role, we're also missing the spots where we're supposed to do our part. Ephesians 2.10 says that you've been uh, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that were prepared beforehand for you to do. Those are your good works. And when we compare ourselves to other people, we're like, well, I'm going to help Bill with his good works. You know, <laughs> Somebody's got to tell him. He really stinks of that. Mind your business. Get in your lane. Know who you're not. You know who I'm not? I'm not Bill. You, you do you, boo. I just, I've got to do, I've got to do what I'm called to do. John the Baptist knew who he was not, and he knew who he was. Let's continue. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist, he kind of flashes back and he gives us an illustration of a wedding. And as soon as he mentions a wedding, everybody like in that culture would think of weddings of their day. In fact, if you're reading the book of John straight through, we just read about a wedding one page before, like the wedding at Canaan. So it's already on the mind of the reader as they're processing this. And John knows his wedding. Um, if, if, if you go to a wedding, uh, in fact, I'm doing a wedding in a, in a couple of weeks and um, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the pastor, as you'd imagine, because I'm already married, right? And uh, I'm the pastor, and there's going to be a bride and a groom right there. And how, how, how inappropriate would it be if I made the entire ceremony about me? I talked about how funny I was, how good of a husband I am. I talk about, you know, like, yeah, I've been doing this for a while, and maybe one day this, this lovely young couple. Like, if I just made the whole night about me, that would be wrong, right? We can all agree that I shouldn't do that. I think, I think you can agree. It's your daughter's wedding. What if I made it about me? It would be terrible because that's not how weddings work. It's about the bride and the groom. He, he kind of ha- paints this picture of like, I'm, I'm the best man at this wedding. John the Baptist is saying, I'm the best man at this wedding. Jesus is the groom. It's about him. There's a scene in the movie, uh, The Wedding Singer. Uh, it's a classic movie. Uh, I think it's played by John Bushimi, this, this one guy. And he's the best man at this wedding. And he's had a little bit too much. He's a little tipsy, you know. And he's kind of, he's, you're at that moment in the wedding where you have to give the speech. And he's like, ding, ding, ding. He's like, ah, I'd like to say something. And he's like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm the best man. <laughs> More like the better man. You know, he talks about how much better he is than the groom. And they finally just escort him out because it's so inappropriate. Like everybody knows this is not how it works. And John the Baptist is kind of saying, Saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, if I do what you're asking me to do and I make this about me, not only am I standing in the way, but it's highly inappropriate. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about the Christ. It's about him. I must decrease so that he must increase. John the Baptist was so comfortable with his position in life, his calling, his station, 
that he knew when it was time to increase and he honored it well. He proclaimed Jesus until he came. But when Jesus was on the scene, he knew when to take the step back and he gives him his rightful place. What would it look like in your life for you to decrease so that Christ might increase? What would it look like when you're, when you're talking to the boss and you're trying to stand up? Like it's like a performance review thing. It's like, you know, uh, I'm going to decrease a little bit and I'm just going to give people credit where, where it belongs. What would it look like in your, in your, in your relationships and your arguments and your confrontations if, if in that moment it's not so much about you being right, but it's about like how can, we, how can we find a mutual solution? How can we honor Christ in this moment? Uh, I'm going to decrease a little bit. I'm just going to let Jesus increase right here. And you just you know, you're right. I, I shouldn't have said that thing. And instead of coming back with, but you shouldn't have said that back, it's like, I just, I'll apologize. And just let it be. See, see, what happens whenever you're willing to decrease? Peace. Nobody's going to force you to stand up for you. No one's going to force you to put the spotlight back on you. There's no argument left to be had. There's no confrontation left to be had if we just take a step back. What if at work, during all of those compliments, you're doing great. I love your work. I, man, I'm so proud of you. Instead of you letting it lift you all the way up, it's increasing you, you, you politely say thank you and you just you do your best to stay even with it. Because if, it, if you let it take you all the way up, that first criticism drops you back down. It's like the same highway in the brain. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decrease so that he may increase. Someone compliments you on your work, I'm just, you know, you say it out loud or just say it to yourself. I'm just thankful God gave me the hands to do this, the skills, the talents to do this, to learn this trade. John the Baptist, he knows who he's not. That's the first question. Who, who am I not? He answers that right. He gets, he gets it well done. High differentiation. I know who I am. Uh, I, know, I know my role in this. And then the third question that he asks is like, who is Jesus in all of this? Because whether you're close to Jesus or just testing out Jesus or far from whatever, you have to deal with Jesus. Like, who is Jesus? What is his role in all of this? Because he's a historical major focal point of all of humanity, whether you're a Christian or not. Here's what John the Baptist does with Jesus. And it's fascinating to me because he gets everything right that Nicodemus got wrong just like three paragraphs before. He says in verse 31, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever does receive his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John the Baptist, he takes a step back and he says, let me tell you who this Jesus is. He is the one who came from heaven and he is testifying of all the good things of God. His message is true. And the Bill or whoever this cat is, is like, hey, you should do something about it. It's like, no, what you should do is listen to him. Hey, you're really great at that, John the Baptist. You should baptize more people. You know, no, you should listen more to Jesus. My role in this is to point you to him. And whether you have discovered this yet or not, Carpenter's Way, your role as an individual is to point others towards Jesus. You will find more satisfaction in your life if we decrease so that he may increase. So just a couple of things to, to close out. Um, one is this, comparison, it's always a poison. Always avoid it. 
Don't compare yourself to the other parents. Don't compare yourself to the other spouses. Do your best not to compare your pain to other people's pain. Just, just try to turn down that temptation because it will always poison the well. So do your best to avoid it. And then plan today. Like, what are some things you can do today to decrease so that he can increase? Who am I not? Who am I? Who is Jesus? And I'm going to take a step back and shine a light on him. In your arguments, in your confrontations. I had someone ding my truck uh, this week at Chipotle. I wanted to yell some things. I wanted to, hey, she's like standing right there. Like, hey, don't, don't do that. We just had a conversation and she drove away pretending it never happened. I was, I was frustrated, but you know, it's not about me. Uh, what, what am I going to do? Chase her down? Arrest her? No. You know, it's just some old lady who hit my truck. Uh, in Philippians, I want to close with this. In Philippians 4, this is fast forwarding about 30 years after this moment, 40 years. The cross has already happened. Christians have already you know, learned to build churches and they're figuring out how to follow Jesus in a post-resurrection world. Paul, the author of Philippians, he's in prison for talking about Jesus, for proclaiming Jesus. And, and he's going to tell you that he's figured out the secret to contentment. You're like, wait a second, he's in prison. He actually dies before he gets out of this prison and he's figured out the secret to contentment. Here's what he says. Chapter four, verse 10 says, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's kind of saying like, hey, thank you so much for that letter. You guys didn't forget about me. Oh, I love it. Thank you. It meant a lot to me that you sent this. And then he starts to kind of correct himself a little bit. It's like, oh, but I mean, you got to understand I wasn't doing too bad. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, contentment, at peace, satisfied. Brother's chained to a wall about to die. He's like, I'm just, I'm just so content. In the ups and the downs, I'm content. How do you do this, Paul? He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. John the Baptist said, I know how to decrease. And I know how to increase. I know when it's time for me to do the things. And I know when it's time for me to take a step back and you know let somebody else get the credit. I know how to uh, be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Everybody's favorite verse, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I know who Jesus is. He strengthens me and I know how to increase and I know how to decrease. I know how to get things done. I know how to take the praise. I know how to take the compliment. I know how to take the criticism. I know how to take the correction. I know how to take it when things are going perfect for me. And I know how to take it when I'm chained to a wall about to die because Christ strengthens me. I think about him. It's not about me, Paul would say. John the Baptist would say, and we should say. It's not about me. I know what is about me. I know what I'm supposed to do, but this, this whole world isn't about me. But it's about him. And I'm going to do what I can to proclaim him. Do this week whatever you can to decrease so that he may increase. Pray with me. Father, uh, this morning, uh, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for this, this challenge. Um, there's so much noise in our lives, Father. We have so many things pulling us apart, telling us to, to, to correct this or to look more like this person. Father, help us to, to not fall into the poison of comparing our lives with another life and just, just look to you. Help us to see the good gifts that you've given us in our lives, to count them, to name them, to, to be satisfied in them, to find joy and enjoyment in them. Lord, uh, help us to know when it's time to just decrease and just take a step back. And in humility and, and um, 
sacrifice even, just lay down some of our pride at your cross and just decrease so that you have the room to make yourself known, that you can heal relationships and, and correct uh, other people's behaviors, what, whatever you want to do, Father. Um, we want to we take a, a back seat. Give us eyes to know when it's time for us to act, but the courage to take a step back when it's time to. Lord, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.